You're listening to the Career Jump Podcast. Insights, interviews, and success stories to inspire and give you the edge when you make your next career jump. Hosted by your career concierge, Andrew McCaskill. Hello, and a very warm welcome back to the Executive Career Jump Podcast. I'm your host and career concierge, Andrew McCaskill. And I'm delighted to be joined today by Sam Griffiths. How are you, Sam? I'm very good today. Good. We're really pleased to have you with us. So I know Sam is uh, very much a strong operator in the wellness, fitness and, and general life improvement and life coaching world. We actually share a, a shared working space as well over at the old Bond store in Southampton. So it's been great to get to know him. And I feel uh, I feel really excited for our listeners that he's chosen to free up some time and come on today. So Thanks for doing that, Sam. And tell us a little bit more about the type of work you get involved with and a bit more about your story. The work that I get involved with really is what I call everyday health. So I try and avoid kind of athletic side of sort of health and fitness. I'm looking at everyday health and self-care. And that tends to be for busy people, busy business owners, business leaders, entrepreneurs who really they're suffering from Uh, high amounts of stress, high amounts of responsibility and lack of time. And therefore, everything that I apply to the way they eat, the way they sleep, the way that they exercise, the way that they get their headspace is it goes through that filter. So what works for someone who is stressed, has high amounts of responsibility and not a lot of time without quick fixes, uh, without hacks. It's a long, a long game. No quick fixes. Is can we not just drink lemon juice for seven days and then have all our problems taken care? <laughs> is, that, is that not a sustainable strategy? No. No, but I do look at strategies which you can apply in the short term, but then you can repeat them each week or each month, and that's another way to look at it. Certainly is sounds uh, very sensible, and I like the holistic nature of how you approach what you do. So, thank you for sharing that. Our audience are typically senior job seekers who are going through a high stress situation because to find yourself on the job market at the moment is not fun for obvious reasons. Now, they're maybe not as busy as they would usually be. So there is an opportunity for them to be using their current availability to improve their wellness in many ways. But it's, you know, it can be a tricky task when you're feeling the stress of not being into work and everything. What kind of general advice would you give to somebody in terms of things that they can start building into their routine or things they can start looking at at the moment that that are going to help them? Well, it's a bit of a double-edged sword because whilst they have the time now, and that might be a month, it might be three months, it might be six months, they're not sure, eventually they won't have the time again. Mm. So the problem that people would have at the moment is putting in routines and structures which will fall down and they won't be able to sustain um, when they go back to their working life. So the the first thing that I would focus on is the first and the last hour of their day, because when they go back to work, whatever routines they establish in that first hour and that last hour, they'll still be able to hold on to and and use as their kind of anchor to look after themselves. And that first hour, you know, it doesn't have to be at 5am, doesn't have to be at 6am, 7am. I'm not a believer in you having to get up early to be successful. But I do think the first hour of your day should be focused on on looking after yourself, your self-care, your health, whatever that is to you at that time. For one person, it's the way they're eating. For another person, it's exercising. For your um, your people at the moment, it might be the strategies and the work they're putting into um, finding a job. 
the first hour of the day should be devoted to that. Yeah, that's a lovely way to break it down because that scales, doesn't it? That's sustainable. Yeah. Um, so that's a nice way to break it down. Now, one of the uh, interesting discussions we've had uh, over coffee a couple of times is this concept you talk about of setting your minimums in a goal-obsessed <coughs> culture that we live in today. This idea of setting your minimums I found really interesting. So would you, would you be kind enough to share a bit more about your thoughts on minimums with the audience and what you're referring to there? Yeah, so in my world, you have athleticism and, and high-level athletes. And then on the other side, you have business and wanting to grow a business. And, and both those usually involve peaking. So if someone's running a marathon, they're, they're working towards a peak and then they drop off the peak afterwards. That's what you see a lot of times. And the same in business, you're trying to grow a business to a peak where you know maybe you sell it, exit out of it, et cetera. But your health it doesn't have any edges it shouldn't have any peaks it ebbs and it flows and therefore trying to have a, a mindset or a mentality of maximum all the time will just lead to burnout um, whether it's in a week in a month over you know a decade so establishing your minimum is what's your your default level of performance day to day 90 percent of the time and i think what trips people up with that is they think minimum means minimal or minimum means easy and it's not necessarily it's your your current minimum your current standard that you can sustain daily weekly in terms of the way that you look after yourself and then you switch on maximum when you need it mm. does that make sense it does make sense and again it comes back to that sustainability piece doesn't it yeah i'll give an example of that so i, I had a client this month wanted to set goals of running three times a week and uh, so I had the discussion with them. I said, okay, why, why three times a week? They're already doing other exercises, looking at exercising six times a week. So why three times a week? Oh, I want to do, you know, 30 miles in January. I said, okay, so let's set the goal of 30 miles in January. But that doesn't mean that you need to run three times a week. That means you want to set 30 miles over the course of January. That means that one week you might run once, one week you might run three times, but over the month, you're running 30 miles total. Yeah. Your minimum might be two a week. And you look at, you average that out over a month. It's very different to when you try it. He was trying to force himself in. No, I want to do this amount of times per week. What will happen is two or three of those weeks, you might achieve it, but one or two of those weeks, you might not. And that plays on your mind. And that's the problem with maximum is because it trips you up. And when it trips you up, that affects your performance. So if you can get in the habit and the mentality of setting minimums and what that looks like over a longer period of time and then looking at growing that, that's a very different approach. It makes perfect sense because it derails you if you go, you, you kind of give up on the task sometimes. If, if, you're, if you don't hit what you were supposed to hit, you kind of give up on it. Yes, Where exactly. And, and this is the point about everyday health versus athleticism versus business is everyday health is there to serve you to look after you it's it's intrinsic whereas athleticism and business they're external events so you're working against those rather than against yourself so when you're looking at everyday health and self-care that minimum works so much better because it doesn't trip you up it's less pressured and you can grow that standard over a long period of time over a year over three years over five years of relentless sort of consistency which is what I've done over the last decade so that when you are stressed when you are overwhelmed do you still have you, you default to you know your, your minimum 
yeah, you've got that base to fall back on. That makes perfect sense. So exercise wise, I know what you do is more holistic than that. But what kind of things can people be doing who, you know, been made redundant, maybe don't want to be spending too much money equally? The gyms aren't open anyway. Like what kind of what kind of things are, are good activities for people to be focusing on right now? Well, the short answer is do the thing that you enjoy first. Um, if you're not doing anything, doing something that you enjoy is better. But I actually like to give people a bit of a template, uh, which I call uh, hard, easy, long, easy. So per week, do something that's hard once a week. Maybe that's something high intensity, which is very trendy. Then once a week, do something very easy. Maybe it's yoga, maybe it's Pilates, maybe it's just a walk, whatever that is. Once a week, do something long. So that's a long walk, it's a long run, it's a long cycle, it's a swim, whatever is within your means at the moment, and then do something easy again. And again, that's something as a template that you can do week in, week out, whether you're working or whether you're not working. And what is hard for you now is different to what's hard for you in the future. Uh, and what is easy now is different to what is easy in the future. But that's a template that I've used with a couple of friends who've been out of work recently that I think is very sustainable and still applies, still scalable, like you, you talked about, when they're back to work. And it goes against this the status quo of, of high-intensity exercise, which everyday people, it doesn't serve everyday people like they think it does. In what way? I think it's totally overrated. High-intensity exercise is totally overrated. If you want to build capacity over a long period of time, most of your the exercise that you should do should be easy or medium. And again, that, that really pinches on people that have got that maximum mindset. Because when you're doing something of high intensity, it is actually taking away from you. So doing that more often than not is going to break down your body. It's going to beat your body up. And for people that don't like to pick the exercise, that, that it's not natural to them. I call them unnatural athletes, you know, like me. I'm, I'm not a natural athlete. I've kind of constructed where I am now. I think high, things like high intensity ex exercise, they reinforce your hatred of exercise. So to therefore make that the default thing that you go to because it's 10 or 15 minutes, um, you're actually reinforcing a negative cycle of, of you know something that you, you're trying to build up and, and establish as something that you want in your life. So once a week is enough. And I'll give you an example of that with myself. I, at the moment, I'm exercising on average about six times a week. So over a month, 24, 24 times. And that's still only three, four hours a week total. But, you know, six times a week, 24 times a month, three or four of those sessions, I would consider high intensity. And I'm the professional. So as the professional, why am I only doing something three or four times a week that the health and fitness industry tells you that you should be doing all the time. I use that hard for one reason, and that is to, protect, uh, to practice being uncomfortable, mm. practice discomfort. That's, that's my sole reason. And then everything it's else. Interesting. I, I think uh, culturally we attach too much kudos to suffering in general, like to wear it as a badge. And it's the same in careers, the same in fitness or whatever it is. Like, it doesn't have to be hard to be worthwhile, does it? No, it doesn't. And the reality is, it's about the dose. It's about the dose. So there is, I do actually believe there's a benefit in being able to suffer. Yes. But that's um, more mental than physical, isn't it? 
It is absolutely mental, yeah. To be able to endure pain of some level, you'll see it in the military, you'll see it at high levels of the corporate world and, and athleticism and other things. But the practice of that should be less frequent. Mm. It should be about the dose. So that for me is three or four times a month, I'm practicing being mentally uncomfortable. I also do it in other ways. I take cold showers, for example, and people sort of hear me talk about it and go, well, that's nuts. And I've been doing it for years now, but my sole reason for doing it in the morning is it's a hard thing, but I control it. I can turn it back on hot if I want to, and I can step out of the cold water, but I can go under it. And that, that gives me that, that practicing practice of discomfort, practicing mm-hmm. discomfort. Bit of a jolt. I like that. Hey, everybody. It's uh, Andrew here. Just wanted to very briefly interrupt this podcast episode to tell you a little bit more about our Career Jump Club. So our Career Jump Club was created to help job seekers understand what they want and how to get it, right? So becoming a club member is a great move if you're looking to get the clarity and confidence in order to secure your next role. With the membership, you get a number of different things. So first thing you get is access to our online platform, which has over 30 videos, 40, 50 different templates, workbooks, And it takes you through everything from sort of understanding what you want to how to position your CV and LinkedIn, how to interview, how to close offers and negotiate better salaries, a full end-to-end job search course effectively for senior leaders. So you get that, you get a fortnightly group coaching call, um, which is with me and with the other members where we bounce around best practice, share slide decks, share techniques and share the latest data on what's working for people. And you get to, most importantly, become part of our closed LinkedIn group and our closed community. And in there is where the magic often happens because you get people referring each other into opportunity, supporting each other, and just sharing. And that's what it's all about. So if you're financially able and you'd like to invest in your job search, head on over to www.execcareerjump.com, or one word, forward slash club and you'll find the landing page and come and give it a go. We'll see you in there. Anyway, back to the pod. Talk to me about nutrition. (laughs) Thought, Um, what do minimums look like in nutrition? Minimums, again, you get into nutrition and uh, it's a very complex world or made to be complex, made to be, there's lots of misinformation uh, given out and there's lots of people that, are very evangelist about one way of eating or or the other way of eating. And the reality is that if we talk about what most people focus on, what most people agree on, health and fitness professionals, is water, vegetables, and whole food. Okay, that's it. So how much water are you drinking? How how many vegetables are you eating within your diet? And how many of the meals that you eat, three meals a day, seven days a week, 21 meals, how many of those are made from scratch? that's where you're getting people to focus on so a really simple one for me and again i used this with a friend recently was half a plate of veg because we talk about fruit and veg portions and who really knows what that is i don't even know what that is anymore but i can look at my plate and go half that plate is vegetables of any kind what does that look like as a minimum is that once a day is that building up to twice a day if that's 21 meals in a week and for the first week you took that habit is half a half a plate of veg. How many of your meals are you doing that in? It's five. Okay. Next week, make it seven. Week after that, make it eight, nine. Till the end of the month, you're getting up to 10, 11, 12. And you look at doing that over a whole year, something like a half a plate of veg, 
and you see how much fat you drop. Mm. Yeah, why is that? Why is the veg element so important in your view? To be honest, aside from you know all the nutrient values, it makes you feel full. Yeah, and it's very, very nutrient dense. It's very low calorie, you know, and I don't prescribe to counting calories at all, but it's very low calorie. So it physically fills you up. It physically fills the volume of your stomach up with, you know, low energy, um, high high nutrient, low energy foods. And so it has that intuitive effect of over time, you're eating less in general. It's what we call positive displacement. So you're putting good things into your diet and letting the bad things just ebb out rather than doing it the other way around, which is what most people do, is they try and cut something out. So they try and cut carbohydrates out, they cut sugar out, they cut out alcohol. Whereas if you focus on putting good things into your diet, these things will will come out naturally and you won't feel restricted in the same way. It's a far more positive approach, isn't it, psychologically? Yeah, absolutely. And ultimately, you know, you no one builds performance at any kind of high level or, or leanness through negativity yeah right uh, yeah that's absolutely right it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy the negative thought loop and we see that a lot with the job seekers that we're helping they can't yeah. perform at their best in their job search if they're coming at it from a place of negativity if they're still caught in what's come before <coughs> or if they're still obsessing over the rejection they've just had or whatever it might be it's the same thing it becomes self-fulfilling so you've, yeah. got to, you've got to be forward-facing and be coming at things, as you say, from a positive point of view. So I really, I really like that. All these tips, the overall kind of narrative to them is this idea of them being sustainable in the longer term. That's what I really like about what you're doing. In the, um, in the world of quick fixes and six-week abs, I think this is, uh, this is really refreshing stuff. So thanks for sharing it with us. The other obvious area to ask somebody like you about is the mental health side and how people can be looking after themselves there and thinking about their mental health in a positive way. Lots of hyper new apps in this space at the moment. Thoughts on mental health tips, what you've seen work for some of your clients, types of things that people who are at home locked in might want to be thinking about. Love to hear some of your knowledge on that. The best way we could talk about this, because we don't think we, we talk about mental health and it's very vague, broad term, but what I deal with and dealing with people with skills and teaching skills so the the first start of that is creating time for thinking space and headspace so is that a 15 minute block a 30 minute block 45 minute block and putting that into your day because again you can still do that when you're back working and then what are those activities that that make you feel relaxed so for me and this is individual but so for me I love to read and of course, I can read to learn and gain knowledge and other things, but actually it just makes me feel really relaxed and gets into flow. So one of my main habits for me for Headspace is to read. And then you can do things like the Headspace app, the Calm app, Breathwork and, and other things. But I think the, the probably the best skill for Headspace is journaling, which I think people find really difficult. And it's not Dear Diary but it's taking five or 10 minutes out to journal on what's in your head. And the the idea is to take it out of your head to put it onto a paper because while it's in your head, it's subjective. And when you put it on paper or, you know, you were typing on your computer or you're putting it on paper, whatever your method is, you then objectify your thoughts Mm -hmm. and it allows you to look at them as an observer. 
mm. and it allows you to then change them, look at that perspective. So journaling is something that's been around for literally hundreds and hundreds of years. And again, when you look at things that work in health and fitness and headspace, look at the stuff that's been around for decades and centuries, not the stuff that's been around for months and years. Um, and journaling is something that's been been around for centuries but it can be simple as what does a good day look like question mark today what does a good day look like it might be set out those tasks for looking for work in that first hour boom done that's, mm. that's my good day could be two meals of half a plate of veg that's my good day so look into journaling, looking at into prompts, the questions that you use and have a variety of them as well. So, you know, you literally go on Google, there's loads of different kind of journal prompt type questions, but have like a short list of five questions and pick one or two of those each day to journal on. So they could be different questions, different prompts each day. You're going to sit there and go, right, what's on my mind? What's the question that relates to how I feel at the moment? And journal on that for five or 10 minutes probably one of the best things that people can have a play around with and use as an experiment, not pressure themselves to, to do a certain amount of time each day or write a certain amount, but just to sit there and have a play and, and an experiment with what goes from here to there. And then what do I think about that? I think that's really, really good advice. You know, I've, I've tried uh, journaling a couple of times and it's so cathartic. It's a really cathartic process, but I've never stuck at it. And I'm, I'm sat here listening to you wondering why I haven't managed to feed that habit loop but i'm going to uh, i'm going to reflect on that myself because i think it's such a great tip so thank you uh, for sharing that when you're um you, you mentioned reading and stuff like any books you really like or recommend that have helped shape your thinking and are worth people looking at uh i have a favorite author called uh, ryan holiday yeah um, i like him too yeah. And that, so I think, well, I, I judge, I judge a book on how many times you bought it for someone else. That's the best way to judge a book is how many times you bought it for someone else. And I've bought that book about 15, 16, or this book. Which, which one? Times. Ego is the enemy. Uh, Obstacle is the way. Ego is the enemy is also a brilliant book. I like the Obstacle is the way because it's, is what I call a bedside book. You can literally read a few chapters yeah. at a time. You don't need to read it from A to Z, which is what trips people up with reading, I think, if they're not a reader, is you can literally dip into chapters as you like. Bought that book about yeah, 15, 16 times over the last 18 months for, for clients and friends and things like that. So I think um, that's that's one of the best books to, to for brilliant, head Brilliant recommendation. Love that. And tell us a bit more uh, from a career perspective then about, your business so you you obviously work for yourself mm -hmm. uh, you're a business owner a lot of the people who are listening to this are weighing up the pros and cons of going it alone versus going employed we're seeing more and more actually go their own route sam i guess unsurprisingly a lot of people have been doing a lot of reflecting i think in the last 12 months what do you see as the pros and cons career-wise of doing your own thing versus working for other people pros uh for me is flexibility Part of the reason why I got into this is I have two children. Uh, they're now eight and 13. Back then they were younger. I wanted to go into a career that, that did give me flexibility around my hours and other things. Two is for me is purpose. So I did have, you know, my backstory is that I had a small business unrelated to this sort of 10 years ago. And that business burnt me out, caused me a big nervous breakdown. And then I used that opportunity once I'd recovered to, to switch careers and go into health and fitness. And so my business evolved from me being very much a personal trainer in the beginning to now a much more holistic kind of approach to self-care and every aspect of health, 
for business people. And that's my little story is I had a business that broke me down. I'd like to stop that happening to you. I've now spent the last 10 years looking after myself and looking after other people in a way that's very sustainable. Let me teach that to you. So that's my little story. The cons, I think, are much the same as they are actually in, in the job world is they've got their own individual stresses. It's very stressful to an extent, building a business, uh, the, all the different tasks and things that you have to, to perform as a business owner. But to be honest, in the job world, they're just different tasks. They're still stressful. Yeah. Um, they're still stressful, but they're just different. And a lot of people, what they're seeing now is, you know, in previous years, being employed was seen as being safe. It's not so safe anymore, is it? No, it's not. And then there's the idea around anti-fragility and having one job, one source of income, which props you up versus my 20 sources of income. If I lose one or two or three, then I go and gain another two or three and that you, you can kind of maintain that momentum. The other side for me is if I fail, it's my fault. If I succeed, it's my fault. And for a certain type of person, that makes you feel comfortable. That, that gives me comfort. So I think there is a mentality around owning business or wanting to be an entrepreneur or, or grow that kind of thing is you have to be very comfortable with it being your fault, no matter what, whether you fail, whether you succeed and being a master of your own destiny. And really, I mean, you talked about it, purpose, having purpose. And I talk about it being practical because it's what drives you. So I have a really big purpose within uh, what I do, which is to help people look after themselves in business. Because if they don't, you know, I, I can see what's going to happen. Because uh, so. you've been there. Because I've been there. Uh, yeah, and I think quite often um, a lot of good businesses are born out of people's own experiences, you know. That's Scratching, scratching your own itch. Quite, yeah. Very well put. So for any of the business owners that are listening, what's the best way for people to find you, Sam, and, and reach out? Best way to find me is on LinkedIn. Send me a connection request. If you've listened to the podcast today, just pop me a note saying, hey, heard you on the podcast. Um, and, uh, and slide in and, and slip me a DM and say hello and um, get a conversation going. Fantastic. Well, I think you've offered some great insights there. No doubt things that people can be uh, reflecting on and putting into action tomorrow. So thanks again so much for giving up your time. It was good to have... Uh, a familiar conversation that you and I have had before, but in a recorded capacity so that we can share it with other people and a few new things thrown in as well, which tends to be the case because these are really rapidly evolving subjects. So thanks so much for your time, mate. It's great. You're most welcome. Thank you, Andy. Thank you. You've been listening to the Career Jump podcast with Andrew McCaskill. For more resources and information, just head over to the Career Jump website at www.execcareerjump.com to supercharge your job search and start making moves. Let's get to work. Get to work.